With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Quick, come on! They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. You want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts, this season preview episode. An episode that will be filled with nothing but hope, desire, <laughs> excitement, and maybe some other adjectives that I'm going to think of as we go along. Uh, as Beth said, tonight's show has been dedicated to Austin, Austin Matthews, who has two goals already in his NHL career. Uh, this is Bantering the Blue Shirts. I am your host, Joe Fortunato, joined as always by my spectacular co-hosts, Michael Murphy and Beth Macklin. How are you guys doing today? Good. I'm good. I'm Mike. a little concerned that you don't know what an adjective is, but I'm all right. I don't want to talk about it. That's what. Um, <laughs> we are going to kind of give you our rundown of what we think is going to happen this season. We're going to make predictions. Beth promised that she would also make predictions. So this is going to be uh, this is going to be a big moment. For, for Beth and the rest of us. Um, let's start here. We ended the last show with, I think, a 30-minute rant on all the different ways that we thought Tanner Glass was going to make this team. And we were kind of hoping that we would look like idiots coming into this show. And now we look like idiots because he was part of the last round of cuts with Nathan Gerby. Beth Gerby. And <laughs> what are our thoughts on that? Mike, why don't we start with you? Well, I think we all were kind of preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best with Glass. Uh, I'm very encouraged that the right guys that performed in the preseason stuck around. Um, it kind of it stings a little to lose someone who I think can be a useful player like Gerby, but if the price of losing Gerby is having Brandon Peary around, it's a price you pay every day. And uh, losing glasses, you know, it's it's not just about him not being in the lineup to, you know, take the place of someone who could help the team. It's the fact that he'll now, there will now be someone who's getting the minutes he was getting and directly contributing in ways that will win hockey games. And that makes the Rangers a deeper team. Beth? Um, Well, Two things we were concerned about, which was 
is Glass going to be on the roster? And um, more long-term concern, um, if Girardi doesn't actually have a miraculous comeback um, and if he is still playing the way he was last year, um, and it's still horrible, in other words, um, is the team going to make a decision? Is the team going to do something difficult um, and sit him? And so I guess my main feeling about the glass decision is that maybe it bodes well for a Girardi decision if one has to be made. Um, I think we all knew that the one to, to keep him on the roster, I think we all knew that, that, that he was going to be uh, in the lineup this year and that anything else, getting rid of him, trading him, having him sit was, was, was just not going to happen. Um, but it gives me more faith that if things go badly, maybe there actually will be consequences this time. Maybe changes will actually be made. Maybe that's being way too optimistic, but that that's for me the, the best part of the of Glass not making this lineup is, okay, maybe we're going to stop shooting ourselves in the foot now. It's funny you say that because as we were going through the show, I was going to bring up a quote that Vigneault made the other day that uh, there's actually an entire story that's going up tomorrow morning about but sort of before we get into that, because it, it speaks to the point you're making, Beth, which is it kind of sounds like Vigneault is actually going to hold everybody accountable now rather than just holding certain players accountable. But I think this is the first step in what inevitably has to happen. You, you may look at the Rangers roster and think, OK, well, there was so much talent that Glass had to go down. But the reality of the situation is. I can name pretty much a, a starting lineup of players who Glass has played in favor of where Vigneault didn't take the easy way out and just make the right decision. So I think seeing something like this happen, especially at this point in the year, says a lot both about where the Rangers are in terms of the talent that they have up and down their roster at forward and also about where Vigneault is mentally in, in terms of the way that he's going to coach this year. I think the Rangers are in a situation right now where they really can't make a wrong decision on offense. And that's a really good thing. We didn't see that very much last year and it doesn't matter what line is where. And I kind of want to talk about what the Rangers are doing right now, which is the, the three line. We don't know what the fourth line is. The fourth line is going to be some combination of Grabner fast and then either Peary in between them or maybe Joris. I'm not sure. Nathan Gerby elected to not report to Hartford when he got sent down. He is taking an option over in Switzerland, and Joris apparently has the same option to him. So the Rangers may want to think about that before they send him down. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why he's here right now. But if I were a betting man, I would think Peary is going to be the fourth line center. So removing the fourth line from the equation, because we don't know what that is, here are the three lines we do know. Vesey, Stefan, Zuccarello. Kreider's Abinijad Buchnevich, Miller, Hayes, Nash. Beth, your thoughts on that top nine? I Something bugs me about that top line, and I was uh, saying before, I, I think the word I used was ballast. Um, the word I did not use was grit. I want to go on record with that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, Stefan breaks like a twig. Let's face it. Um, you see, I saw, I was at the game, um, last Thursday 
and I saw him get taken out three times trying to go up the left-hand boards and clear the puck on one shift. And, again, he's new. He's fine. I'm not – this is not me saying he's a bad player. This is That's me saying, wow. That's not saying that BC's going to be a bust. Yep. <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be a it's bust. Started. I'm saying right now he gets he – gets, uh, it's not maybe quite as hard to take the puck away from him sometimes <laughs> as it could be. Um, and so I'm just like, well, the muscle on the line right now is Zook. And that's kind of a strange, as, as much as I love Zook and as feisty as he is. Um, yeah, I'm kind of wondering. There's, I don't feel like there's a lot of size there. I don't feel like there's a lot of heft there. There just seems to be, I don't know, it's like the weights don't measure up. And that sounds more like, you know. I'm putting a boat together for crew. Um, I'm perfectly happy to be convinced <laughs> otherwise if they perform well. But I, I'm just sort of looking at that one like, huh, I, I, don't, I don't quite know what to make of it. And the ballast thing is really the only way I can articulate what I'm, what I'm worried about with that line. So, Michael, hopefully uh, you don't mark VC as a bust as well. That would make two people. No, uh, I won't take out a set of scales for what I'm going to say like Beth said, but uh, <laughs> I understand her point. There's there's something about that top line where you know, it could very easily get pushed around. Thankfully, I think you know, there's there's a lot to like with... My big takeaway, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm trying to get to here is we have two rookies in the top six, and obviously the Rangers third line, you know, with Hayes, Miller, and Nash is not going to see third line minutes. The Rangers have essentially, you know, three scoring lines that most teams would kill to have as their second line. The talent is spread out throughout the lineup, and we're putting both of these highly touted offensive prospects in a position to succeed. And the the highlight of that is uh, Buchnevich with Zabinajad and Kreider, which was really, without a doubt, the Rangers' best line in the preseason. And there's all sorts of things to like about that line. Um, you know, we say this uh, on the night when Derek Broussard picks up his first point as an Ottawa Senator. So it's important to remember, we also have to, you know, find, find fair expectations for what we expect out of Zabinajad. But I really like that the Rangers are kind of spreading it out. It's going to be interesting to see what the top power play unit looks like and, you know, who gets offensive zone starts and things like that, because really I'm comfortable with all three of those lines moving forward. Although I do share best concern about that top line getting kind of bullied around. I'm not totally sure that's the top line. And I think that's part of the beauty for what the Rangers have created here, which is basically a top nine that's interchangeable. So I was trying to look at the negatives and the positives. And uh, I mean, this is really what I came up with. Kreider's Abinajad Buchnevich was by far the Rangers' best line in the preseason. It was by far the Rangers' most explosive line. And I think it would have been suicide for Vigneault to not keep them together. So I do have high expectations for them. I think VC Stepan Zuccarello poses a very interesting dynamic because VC is the only shot first player on that line. And while Zuccarello has a great shot when he uses it and, and Stepan's not the worst shooter in the world, again, when he uses it, you're talking about two guys who are going to open up space for VC. Now, 
The question becomes, if VC is the only guy on that line that's shooting, it's relatively easy to shut him down. And you'd like to see Zuccarello take more of a, a shoot-first mentality to kind of counteract that. And I think that line's success is going to be based on whether or not him and Stepan are able to do some of that heavy lifting offensively if VC is being targeted or, or shadowed or even if he's just slumping, which, again, is entirely possible. I don't think he's going to be a bust like uh, Beth does, apparently. But, um, <laughs> I... you know, I uh, the really good thing about that is there are going to be people who are listening to the show and they're going to be like, oh, Beth, Beth thinks that VC is going to be a bust, huh? And then every time he it does something be right. It may because you keep he... saying that. Well, you know. Yeah, listen, that's the only takeaway they're going to have. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we heard you say it, and now it's on record forever. And long after we're gone, the aliens will unearth this podcast. And uh, they'll hear you say that. And hopefully they look back on a Hall of Fame, like nine Stanley Cup ring career for VC, and then we'll be happy and they'll be happy too. Um, so I'm not, I, I, I like that line a lot. I, I think that the weak link there is going to be the lack of a, of a true, you know, shot first player that's a little bit more seasoned because VC is obviously a rookie. And then Miller, Hayes, Nash, that's a big line. If Hayes it plays the kind of crash the net style that he has been, uh, Nash is obviously the three-line player or the three-zone player on that line. JT Miller, if he has another breakout year, I really like the breakout of that line. I, I think there's so much that can be done there in terms of moving the puck around, being that kind of grinding, bigger body. Uh, Nash has been really good down low. He's a guy who can get the puck out in the defensive zone and help transition the puck up. And Miller and Hayes are guys who can kind of bang around in that offensive zone. So I don't think the Rangers have a line that I look at and I think is absolutely tailored towards that type of more defensive role duty. I think if Vigneault was looking for a line more specific to that, it would be a step on Nash combination. But again, you're talking about a fourth line with Grabner fast. And then even if it's Peary, those guys know what they're doing on defense. So in that mold, Beth, what would you like to see out of the fourth line before Lindbergh gets back? Do you want more looks at Joris, or do you want to stick with the Peary, uh, Fast, Grabner group? I mean, I wish I'd gotten more of a look at Joris. I still really feel like I'm not sure what's there. Um, So I can see there's going to be a little bit of experimenting going on. Um, But, I mean, what else could Peary have done to earn that spot? Um, he showed us everything he had and more. So I guess uh, I don't, I don't feel like I saw uh, Juris enough with the team to really conclude quite where he fits in yet. Um, but I mean, I have, well, you're not asking yet. I, I have predictions that involve Peary. Just let's just say that, but I'm going to leave those for later. My- they don't even have to do with hockey actually. It's just, you know, go on. Now I'm genuinely curious, but we'll uh, we'll figure that out, I guess, as we go. I'm just curious about what Beth's predictions are, to be honest with you. Mm. Not to Beth, put the like to tell predictions. <laughs> All right, Mike, you can go, and then we'll circle back to her. I don't even know what we're talking about now. Who you'd like to see on the fourth line. Oh, all sorts of people. Um, I think, like you said, Peary um, in the middle makes the most sense. It's, it'll be really interesting to figure out, you know, what what things will look like when Lindbergh gets healthy. And 
um, if we see kind of a rotating cast down there and kind of have essentially like an ongoing audition for spots in the fourth line in the, the first, you know, couple of weeks of the season here. But I, I'd like to think we'll start off with Peary and Grabner and then, you know, trying to figure out who fits on that, on that other wing. Um, I, I really, Jesper Fass is a guy who I just can't really figure out. Um, I know that, you know, the numbers show that he's, a solid player, and he had that like amazing stretch of um, successful penalty kills two seasons ago. And then last season, he was a big part of why the Rangers' penalty killing was really rough. And I think the penalty killing aspect is going to to factor in in a big way with who ends up on that fourth line because uh, I think we know to expect Grabner there, and um, I think we also know not to expect Brandon Peary there. So. I think that other forward is going to be a forward who can contribute to that side of special teams after the Rangers, you know, well-storied struggles last year. When I look at the fourth line, Beth, I think you brought up the best point about Joris. <clears throat> we don't know what we have in him yet, and he's a very interesting player in terms of last year he had some of the best suppression numbers in the NHL, and this is on a team in Calgary that – was not very good at actually suppressing shots. So he kind of feels like a lottery ticket. And I think one of the bigger issues was that he did get hurt so easily early. God, I can't even speak. You know, you don't become the number one Rangers podcast ever with the ability to speak. So I guess that's a good thing. (laughs) Um, He got hurt so early in the preseason that you didn't really get a good look to see what you had. And I would be shocked if the Rangers didn't at least want to get a good look at him, especially considering the fact that he's probably going to walk out if he goes down to the AHL. Now, can you justify not having Peary on the fourth line with the way that he's been playing in the preseason? And the answer is probably not. So then it becomes, are you going to rotate him in for Grabner? Are you going to rotate him in for fast? And Mike, I'm with you. Fast is a guy who I kind of want to be a Carl Hagman light. That's that's what I see the top of his ceiling as, and he hasn't gotten yeah. there yet. And whether or not he does get there is going to be interesting because you can't say he hasn't been given the opportunity. He was in the top six more often than not last year. You can't say that he hasn't had his chances, so maybe he is what he is at this point. But I still think he's good enough defensively that you don't want to give up on him either. And Grabner, unfortunately, well, really fortunately, brings defense and offense all together. So I'm not sure there's a spot for Joris outside of this 13th forward role, but I would not be surprised if Vigneault really did try to dig in and see a little bit more of him because there could be something special there. And I'm not talking about like a top six player all of a sudden appearing out of nowhere, but I am talking about a guy who might become a really serviceable fourth line player who can help be that PK defense pivot you need on this roster. Kind of what Glass was supposed to be all of last year. So there are positives and negatives, uh, but again, I don't think there's a wrong answer to the question. I think I'd like to see Peary tomorrow, but if Joris is in there instead of him, I, I have to shrug my shoulders because unfortunately, so long as it's a player who at least brings something to the table, you can't complain. You can't pick and choose between who you want to invest in so long as all the players have the same type of positive outlook. And that's what I was trying to say last week. There's a difference between if you had to choose between VC and Buchnevich, 
you could be upset, but you can't be really mad about which one would be chosen under the circumstances. If it's between VC books, Nevix and glass, well then, yeah, you have an issue because you obviously know what he is, but uh, hopefully that's the last time that we mentioned glass on this podcast, except for that last time that I just said it. Uh, So we'll see. I think tomorrow is going to be a very interesting sort of situation because right now the Rangers have probably one of the top offenses in the league uh, on paper. They probably have the best goalie in the league in reality, and they probably have a top 10 worst defense in the league. We just talked about all the offensive things that we're going to see. Oh, I think we got to be top five in that. I we could definitely be top five. I was trying to be generous before the year began, but I guess you know. I see. Uh, by okay, the way, Austin Matthews just scored his hat trick. So the reason why oh, I'm telling you God. that is because it's cool. But the last rookie to score a hat trick in his very first game was who? I don't know, but if Matthews keeps his pace. It's over 240 goals. So were you going to say Kreider? Derek Stepan, yeah. people. Against Buffalo. He was the last one. So Matthews uh, breaks that streak. All right. So we talked about good things. Now let's talk about bad things. The Girardi-McDonough pairing will be the Rangers' number one pairing moving forward. Um, Kevin Klein has back spasms, and he's day-to-day. So Stahl Holden becomes the next pairing, and then Shea Clendenning becomes the – bottom pairing. On one hand, yay for Shea and Clendenning. On the other hand, why on God's green earth is McDonough Girardi still a thing? Beth? Why is Girardi still a thing? I mean, I feel like a broken well, record. Girardi, McDonough. It's that, I mean, I know looking at, you know, the with or without you, poor McDonough. Um, you know, we're we're talking. It's funny. I was just thinking. You know, we're talking a lot about uh, Lundqvist's career, and you know what he's going to be able to achieve with the team he has in front of him. I'm starting to feel like that a little bit about McDonough, um, in terms of how he's been sort of anchored, and you know, how great it would be to see him play with somebody who could keep up with him. So, um, again, I'm going to try to stick with our positive mindset. Um, but yeah, wow, that's, it's, it's definitely getting old and I hope some experimenting goes on if, uh, circumstances call for it, which again, most of us think they already do, but let's see what happens. Michael. I think it's, it's, this didn't surprise me really. Um, mainly because if you think about, you know, with or without Klein in the lineup, obviously this is without, you know, you have the question of you know, who you pair with who and where you put Girardi. And you have to try and think of this from the perspective of Vigneault and, and you know, Gorton and, you know, who they want on the ice there. And as ugly as it has been to watch Girardi kind of, you know, vampirically suck the life force out of McDonough, it's, we know that like of all the Rangers D, the one who can kind of withstand that the best is Ryan McDonough. So 
it's just this horrible catch-22. Do you keep them together on, you know, on the top pairing, or do you just bury Girardi in the third pairing or the second pairing, which we should all know by now that, you know, is not going to happen unless Girardi proves again that he, you know, is what I think everyone but Elaine Vigneault seems to think he is. And then you'd have Girardi paired with, Nick Holden or Clem Denning or Shea or, you know, or Mark Stahl even. And so none of these options sound good. And I think that's why people get so worked up about Girardi is because pair him with anyone on the Rangers defense and it's cringeworthy. The fact people are overreacting a bit, you know, for, for the lineup for one game here, just because we have seen this Girardi McDonough combination for a long time and, you know, we know what the numbers say, and we know what Girardi's impact is on Ryan McDonough's play. And it's it's a kind of a sad thing to watch happen. But um, and it's really sad for the goaltender behind them. But I I don't know what else we should really expected in the world of reality here because Girardi. Girardi was going to make the lineup. We all should have, you know, known that was going to happen. And I think we'd be freaking out a lot more if the second pair was Shea and Girardi, just because, you know, we feel that Girardi is an anchor in that way. So do I want him on the first pair? Of course not. But I'm having him with McDonough's even on first pair minutes is might be the lesser of two evils here. I'm sort of with you on a Mike, but sort of for a different reason. The Rangers made their bed when they didn't buy out Girardi. So they're yeah. going to run the basically fluff campaign that is, oh, he's going to bounce back. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. So you kind of have to see that through. You've already started walking down this road. And unfortunately, it's not really a road so much as it is you are now falling down a hill and you can't stop yourself. The Rangers don't have an option, especially with Klein hurt. You can't move Girardi with Shea. You're not going to put him with Clendenning. I don't know if Girardi Holden would create some type of black hole that would just suck everything into it and destroy the world <laughs> as we know it. Yeah, you no, you I have to go with, with what you know. I, I don't think Vigneault had a choice here, at, at least not right now. And I didn't really want to get into this, but I, I think I'm going to get into this. Vigneault made a comment the other day to the media about how he wanted the team to be professionals. And he wanted the leadership group to know that he expected the team to be far more focused on hockey than they have been at the past. There is a story going up on Blue Shirt Panther tomorrow that, Beth, you probably need to edit because it's terrible, um, <laughs> where – I look at it as one of two things. I think it's very bizarre, first of all, that Vigneault would kind of question the leadership group because this year's leadership group and last year's leadership group are the exact same people. The group of really the, the veteran guys who could be leaders who left last year were Yandel and Boyle, and I would bet my bottom dollar neither of them were in the leadership group. Part of the reason why Tanner Glass was playing every night was because he was really good for the room. But if Vigneault is calling out the leadership group's inability to take care of things last year, then what was the point? The quote in its entirety is, 
The coaches and management since the beginning of camp have gone out of our way to let players know what's expected from them as far as their on-ice performance, off-ice demands, the way they're supposed to conduct themselves in different situations. Once you know that and know that there's being a professional, then you know it's up to you to go out and do it. We've asked our leadership group to make sure that when we're not around, the players are conducting themselves the way they're supposed to and that they've got their priorities in order. That's what we expect from this group, end quote. So Did whatever they have the leadership like a keg group, party that we don't know about? Well, like, so, what, that's and this is kind of my what, I'm gonna, what I talk about in the article. It, you would have seen them on page six if anything went crazy. Now, if this is a case of boys being boys in terms of staying out too late and maybe missing curfew or being late for a practice or something <clears throat> and it didn't get blown up, that's one thing, which may or less be what this is because ultimately – Vigneault has always been a very hands-off coach. He lets the players deal with their issues. He's not a disciplinarian the way that John Tortorella was. He's mostly in the background in terms of the punishment and the decision-making aspects from that side of things. So we didn't see anything last year. But if you look at the, the players who are younger who really took on key roles, you're talking about Miller, Lindbergh, and Hayes. So were the three of them going out and doing something crazy? Was the leadership group going out and doing something crazy? It's just an interesting quote to make, especially the day before the season is going to start. So the way that I looked at this, I'm choosing to be positive, which I think says something, is Vigneault might be making the case and making it clear to everybody that this is going to be very different in terms of the way that he works the lineup and the way that he holds players responsible. That even if players are struggling, because he's basically calling out the veterans at this point, you need to make sure that everybody's focused on hockey. That maybe we're not going to see Dan Girardi playing if he's not playing very well. Or maybe there are going to be switches with the amount of forwards that the Rangers have that they can get in and out of the lineup. Maybe we will see Dylan McElrath get more playing time because he's not getting the job done or players aren't getting the job done. I don't know. But from what you've seen, and, and I kind of argued that Glass being sent down sort of affirms this ideology because it was clear that Glass could not stay around, that Vigneault didn't have a choice. And for him to come out and say, you know, I expect us to be more focused on hockey and then to go out and put his money where his mouth is in terms of putting the most skilled lineup, that's a positive thing. And we've talked about this. Vigneault has to be the guy that changes and evolves and adapts and adjusts if the Rangers expect to go anywhere. And with that quote and with Glass getting sent down and the Girardi thing is going to play itself out as it goes, Beth, are you a little bit more comfortable going into the season that we might be seeing a different Vigneault? I don't know. I kind of have the opposite view. And again, we don't know what this is in reference to. Um, and if it's actually about bad behavior on the team, then clearly AV is in the right. Something needed to happen. Um, but my instinct from the outside is the opposite of yours, that this is another case of AV not taking responsibility. You know, I mean, I feel like we saw a lot of that last year. You know, Hank needs to rebecome himself and, you know, stuff about Hayes, stuff about Miller, um, you know, never anything. You had a, what was it? I mean, Hank took 
had more shots on him and more high danger shots on him and to never like acknowledge that, you know, maybe there was something wrong with the system or choices of deployment. I mean, actually I find that, I find that quotation really irritating. I have to say on one hand, we're in New York and I get the feeling that if the team got up to anything, I have a really hard time believing that none of it got out. Um, although I could be wrong about that. I may just not know. And there could have been other personality differences, stuff in the room that we know nothing about, in which case, okay, again, check mark, good thing to say. But out of context, I'm not crazy about it because to me the biggest leadership problem on the team last year was the coach. So, you know, I hope whatever it is works itself out. But no, out of context, actually, that quotation does not inspire confidence in me. Because if you're not going to tell the media the reason why you're saying this, okay, you're just deflecting responsibility for your team's performance last year. And Mike, before I let you jump in, just on what you said, Beth, the other part of this story is that that quote is just as damning to Vigneault's effectiveness as a coach as it is to the players being quote-unquote professionals. Because if you're the head coach and you knew those problems existed last year, and the team was going down in a fiery blaze of glory. These things probably should have been brought up before October 11th of the next year. So there's really, I kind of hedged my bet. There's two sides of this. It's either, like you said, Vigneault is kind of protecting himself and tossing the blame and continuing to be this John Tortorella-esque type coach that we saw last year, or it's what I'm hoping it is, which is Vigneault kind of putting the players on notice that, they need to be ready to play and be held accountable. And Mike, I'm curious which side of this fence you're on. Uh, I think Beth did a very good job of talking me onto the cliff here. Um, <laughs> I you don't hear that saying very often that you were talked onto the cliff. <laughs> yeah, I was in a very, you know, yeah, you know what? Everyone's focused on hockey. I feel good. But now, you know, Beth, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, put the gun in my hand. I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's the reason I kind of side, side with Beth here is because we've seen the numbers and we we've seen the Rangers ride, you know, unbelievable luck and PDO at the beginning of last season, and they rode that you know like a sail made out of you know false dreams and and horrible promises to get to the playoffs later in the season when the warts began to show with the team. And the Rangers were not a good hockey team. And, you know, good coaches find a way to get the most out of their players. And we didn't see that from Vigneault by any stretch of the imagination last season. And like Matt mentioned, it's, this is New York city. You know, we, we get, you know, we get stories about, you know, Theo Fleury with, you know, hanging out with homeless people when he had a substance abuse problem. You know, we get all the stories we had with Avery and stuff. You know, things don't escape the notice if they're really out of hand and really a problem. I don't think there was a big problem with focusing on hockey last season. Um, but, you know, Vino would know better than, than I do, or I would, because he's in that locker room and he's interacting with these guys on a day-to-day basis. So I I think it's a good thing that 
he might be kind of setting a new standard for the team and um, it kind of falls into, I know we've talked about this last few podcasts, how you know the Rangers aren't talking about themselves like they're, you know, cup favorites or even favorites to, you know, get to the, get deep in the playoffs here. They're just trying to, you know, get hot at the right time of the year. And I like that that's kind of the new brand of dialogue we're hearing because it's, it's kind of a more realistic look at the team. And so I'm hoping that this kind of falls into that same folder of, you know, looking at the team with new eyes, I suppose. I don't know though. It's tough. I guess Beth kind of talked me onto the cliff too, because I was looking at this as maybe more of a, more of a like positive. Go. Now, and I even mentioned in the article that you will all get to read tomorrow, there hasn't been a Rangers player in page six since Sean Avery. And like Beth said, this is New York. You would know about it if something crazy went down. So was it just that guys maybe weren't as focused on their training Kevin Hayes lost 20 pounds over the summer. Could it be something like that? But again, if it is something like that, Hayes lost 20 pounds over the summer. He looks noticeably different in the preseason. So who is he talking about? And we've already seen the quote from Vigneault that, well, you know, McElrath is going to have to do a lot with the puck, and he's going to have to be a lot better if he's going to want to get into the lineup. And Girardi was probably the Rangers' worst defenseman in the preseason. And here is McElrath again as the eighth defenseman a la the Rangers were potentially going to trade him a couple of days ago before they put Lindbergh on injury reserve. So there are two sides to this coin. I, I just don't know what it is. And Vigneault was <laughs> feeling the heat. He's feeling the pressure. This is definitely uncharted water for him. This is very unprecedented in New York. With all the success that he's had, I, like I've said a couple of times, I don't think there was even a seat to get hot for Vigneault the past three years, but things changed last year and Jeff Gordon is the new sheriff in town. And what we do know about him, he's been really savvy with some of the moves he's made. The, the Girardi thing, notwithstanding, uh, there are some moves to be made left, whether it's Shattenkirk and those rumors keep floating around or Jacob Trout, Truba. I said Trouba and someone yelled at me, it's Truba. <laughs> There's a lot left to be seen here, but the Vigneault that's on the hot seat, we don't know what that guy is yet. And there are a lot of cracks in this sort of shield that he put up as this calm, cool, collective coach. One of the biggest positives about Vigneault in that 2014 Stanley Cup run was how cool, calm, and collective he was for that disaster of a start the Rangers had. That he was the calm voice in the locker room where Tortorella would have been throwing things out onto the ice and going crazy. That guy did not exist last year. Vigneault was not calm. He was calling players out in the locker room. We talked about it on the podcast. He looked like John Tortorella more often than not. So are we seeing that? Is that sort of this transformation? Or are we seeing him actually adapting into a guy who knows that he probably put veterans in sort of a luxury position where they didn't really have to worry about their spots or their playing time, and it is what it is? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, what I don't like about it is that the team can't defend themselves, you know? He's referring to things that we can't know about, and that means if those things get better, he gets the credit, and if they don't get better, it's still some strange mystery 
that isn't going to be revealed to us, but also still somehow isn't Eve's fault. It seems really passive aggressive to me. Um, You know, and part of me just wants to say at the beginning of the season, be on their side. You know, I mean, if this was such a big deal that it actually threw you guys for such a loop that you didn't make the playoffs, and that's not what I'm saying because that's not why I think they didn't make the playoffs, but I'm saying if AV is putting that responsibility on their shoulders without telling us the reasoning behind it, um, I don't know. I, I have a really big, you know, what I keep thinking of is, you know, myself as a teacher, just I can't imagine just, you know, saying, well, you know, I didn't get good results because, you know, the students had all of these problems among themselves and, you know, I'll get results when they work it out. And, you know, I'm not making his salary either, let's just say. So I I guess I just don't like the deflection there, and um, I don't like the position that it sort of puts him in that now that he said that he can sort of make of it whatever he wants because obviously nobody's going to tell us what exactly it meant. Normally Mike is the – the grumpy Gus on this podcast, but Beth is just, she is taking over this role today. Um, I've infected I, agree, you all. I, I, I kind of agree with you though. I really do. Uh, you're looking at, I may actually go in and kind of rewrite the story a little bit in terms of what I think. And I guess the part that kind of irks me is like you said, if it's worth saying to the public, then something happened and it's worth knowing what that something is because Vigneault kind of can't hedge his bets this year and say, well, they're obviously not focused. Like I said, it doesn't work like that. Not after what happened last year. Um, yeah. Let's move on into more positive talks. Predictions, fun predictions. I want to know <laughs> who you think will be the leading point scorer, the leading goal scorer. And then if you want to give me who you okay. think will lead in assists, that's fine. Mike, you kind of sound like you want to go first, but I think I'll uh, I'll give my own predictions first, then like, since I kind of threw you guys out there and let you guys uh, think it through. I am going to say Zabinichad leads the team in points. I really think he's going to. Uh, Damn it. From what I've seen of where the Rangers are utilizing him on the power play and kind of that line in general, I think is just there's too much opportunity there for, for him not to break out and kind of have that explosive year. I think we're going to see, if I had a guess, between, I don't know, I'm gonna, I would put him optimistically around 65, 70 points. And I really do think we're going to see some good things out of him. I think he's going to lead the Rangers in points. I am going to say Cryer leads the Rangers in goals. I'm, I'm feeling that breakout year from what I saw out of him in the preseason, him going to the net a lot more. That line, I think, is going to create a ton of offense. So, uh, look, Kreider is sort of on the cusp. And I was talking about this the other day when he was scoring those goals in the preseason. It would be amazing for Kreider to have an unbelievable breakout year this year on the tail end of signing a four-year contract extension. Like, to knowingly have him locked up for four years at an unbelievably cheap price tag and have him explode offensively. Um then I guess I, I just to kind of throw something, a little wrench in there. Of all the Rangers youngsters, and really, I guess, between the two rookies, I think Buksnevich is going to have the better year between him and VC. I, I just think his KHL polish is 
going to push him over the edge. And uh, there's a lot of things you might not realize when it comes to young players. Like Beth said, VC kind of tried the same thing a couple of times in the preseason that didn't work. Something that probably worked in college because he was the best player on the ice. That's not going to be the case this year. And that's not to say that he's going to be a bust like Beth thinks he's going to be. Um, it's just, I just think that Buchnevich <laughs> is going to have, uh, I think he's going to have the better year. And I'll throw out there uh, who's going to lead the team in assists. I'm going to say Zuccarello, but I'm also just going to throw out there. I think what? Nothing. Go on. I I think, uh, I think Bucinevich is going to put up 40 points this year. I really do. Uh, I don't know about VC, but just from what I've seen of Bucinevich's ability to move the puck. And if that line stays as explosive as it is, and if he is one of the guys running the points and, you know, if he's one of the guys that's on the half boards on that power play and him and Kevin Hayes kind of ran a pivot role, I, I see good things from him. So uh, I also think Pierre will play at least 70 games. Uh, I just I, I see him being a, a big part of this offense moving forward. Beth, you get to make your predictions and everybody should take notes because this is something we haven't really seen. By the way, we're going to lose you guys but in two minutes. Not- as usually, as usual, we've strategically placed the Tony podcast padding time to an area where you need to come download us to hear the rest of our predictions. You've heard my crappy predictions, and you will hear Beth's and Mike's amazing predictions after the break. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll do all of our plugs at the end, but when you get kicked, <laughs> just know that there's amazing stuff on the other end of this, uh, this break. Beth, go ahead. Well, you stole my thunder on uh... – Benedad, I, I, that's what I was going to say as well uh, for points leader. Um, and I actually thought that was unexpected and I was going to be very pleased with myself. And then you went and took it away from me. Um, and now no one will believe that I actually came up I'm with that, monster. but it is what I came up with. Um, I, okay. Since you already said Kreider for goals, um, I, I, I do think I, I think he's going to have an amazing year. I think this is finally it. I think he's finally on a line that lets him do, um, lets him do what he wants to do, lets him do what he's good at. Uh, he seems comfortable. He seems balanced. I'm going to keep Nash up there in the top three. I bet maybe sticking my neck out a little bit. Um, assists, I also. Assist, I'm going to say Zucker Kreider, actually, because I bet Kreider is going to make a ton of amazing, pretty things happen um, with uh, with his line. So, you know what? I might even say Kreider. I might say Kreider leading the team in assists. Um, all right, and then come back to me. Zabana done points, Kreider on assists, and then come back to me for goals. And I don't have my final weird prediction uh, yet, so you have to come back to me for that, too. My out of nowhere prediction. Okay, Michael. <laughs> uh, it's either Keith Handel's ghost or Zuccarello for the team leading assist. <laughs> and oh, God, um, what a uh, gut punch that was, you monster! Um, and I think I'll go with I think I'll go with Zuccarello for points, um, just because he added the kind of goal scoring touch to his game last season. Yeah, I know he's now. It's a weird thing to think, but he's become one of the elder statesmen on the team. But um, we keep robbing him of all the people he loves in his life. But I, I st- still think he's going to be very productive. <laughs> uh, his primary assist numbers are fantastic. And, you know, on the power play, especially where, you know, the power play production really kind of separates 
and inflates people's numbers from, you know, okay production to great production. You know, top power play guys end up with something like, you know, 20, 25 power play points. So um, Zuccarello's ability to produce on the power play, I think, will get him to the top with assistant points and goals. Um, last season, Rick Nash in 60 games shot 5.47% at even strength at five on five hockey. And he had seven goals. I think Rick Nash could rebound in a big way. I like what Joe said about Kreider. I'm hoping that Kreider has that breakout year because it would feel really good to, to put money down on the right horse in the first year of this uh, extension for Kreider. But um, I just know that Nash is more productive than, you know, what what we saw last year. And I know that he's a very polarizing player um, in the Rangers fandom, but it's people very quickly forget what he did two seasons ago. I think he's healthy and he's motivated. And, you know, I don't know what he's, what sort of role he's going to have in, in the offense because the Rangers might really need him to be a guy who plays in his own zone a lot. But, you know, Nash is not, you know, not a guy who scores under 20 goals in a season. So I'm hoping he'll bounce back and that the shooting percentage will kind of level out to a much more realistic rate. Like rate. And what was I supposed to do, a young guy? Well, um, I just made like an out-of-the-box prediction, but you could do it. Right, out-of-the-box and denning 300 points. So <laughs> I realized that I totally screwed up. I'm sure you guys saw last weekend, but I got violently drunk for my birthday and decided that I was going to tweet, and that was a, an enormous mistake. And I tweeted that I thought I had talked myself into Clendenning being a 35- to 40-point player if give him the opportunity, meaning 82 games and tons of power play time. And I stand by that. Woven the chance. If he is woven into the fabric of the New York Rangers, <laughs> he will be successful. Um, this is don't tweet, don't drink and tweet. It's just, it's really not good at all. Um, then you talk about players being woven and I'm sure he doesn't want to be sewed into anything. So yeah, I, 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 I'm going to stand by that. I think that if drunk Joe is that good at making NHL predictions that I should be rewarded with something. So cookies or candy, you guys can send it into the show and that would be awesome. Um, Beth, the latter half of your predictions. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I expect a lot. Here we um... go. Here it is. I'll go get back on the cliff. Let's just get right back on the cliff. No, these were these were happy things. Um, oh, things I like. Yes. See, I'm walking. I'm walking us all back. I'm walking us all back from the cliff, and then I'm going to run out Will there you? again briefly. But then I'm going to come back. Um, <laughs> uh, JT Miller wants goals. He wants all the goals. It's obvious every single time on he's on the ice that I mean just absolutely relentless. Um, and I know he had sort of a combination of a, a breakout year and a kind of weird shaming year last year. I mean, it just, things got a little strange with him. He was one of sort of the focal points of, I think, AV's weirdness. Um, but I really see him having another uh, 
another major season staying more consistent, hopefully being happy on on that line because I think that sounds I think that sounds like a really good place for him. I really like the idea of seeing him and Nash together. Um, the other thing too, I mean, just flashing back, this isn't really a prediction, but you know, like you said, Nash is a polarizing player. He got an A this week, um, which you know most of us need the confirmation the guy's not going anywhere. Um, but just to compare, you know, what you said, A.V. said, and then I just keep thinking back to, you know, what he said at the beginning of this season, which was that he, you know, there were a lot of young guys, he's getting older, and he has to make the team like everybody else. And that, to me, is just such an example of the right attitude, of taking responsibility, of, you know, being humble, recognizing that you're a part of a a larger system that, you know, either has room for you or it doesn't. And just the contrast in those two things to me is really striking, I think. Um, The saying, you know, it's on me and if I don't do my job, then I don't have a job versus, well, you know, last year was everybody else's problem and they better get their acts together. So, that wasn't a prediction, but it is definitely now that Nash has the A and moving forward. That's definitely something, I mean, I'm going to be thinking about. So, My next question was going to be whether or not you guys saw Vigneault surviving the year. And I'll go first, again, since I'm throwing these at you rapid fire. Uh, here's the thing. The Rangers are going, so long as Henrik Lundqvist is still an elite goaltender, the Rangers are going to be playoff contenders. It's it's very difficult to take that offense and that goaltender playing at that level and not make the playoffs. Whether or not they go deep in the playoffs is going to depend on if they make moves to fix the defense or if Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl have these eyes wide shut moments where just everything comes together and all of a sudden it's magical and they, they have this rebound that the Rangers are maybe praying for, whatever concoction they're asking everybody to drink in terms of the Kool-Aid. So I think the main thing is what do the Rangers consider success? We talked last year or last show about how Jeff Gordon was talking like the Rangers were not Stanley Cup contenders. And if that's the case, then is making the playoffs good enough to keep Vigneault around? And I think we're going to see that early season struggle again because we've seen it the past three years with Vigneault. And it, maybe it comes in November like it did last year. Maybe it comes in October like it did in 2014. But how the Rangers sort of handle their first rough waters is going to be a very interesting event because in the past, Vigneault has been immortal and he is no longer immortal. I'm going to say he does finish the year out. I think the Rangers make the playoffs regardless. The changes that they made on offense and Henrik Lundqvist being Henrik Lundqvist is just too much. Beyond that, though, I think a lot of it is going to depend on where Gordon sees the team going. And I could be wrong. This defense might sink and it might flounder and things may go crazy and the Rangers might be looking to make another move. I think it's very clear that Vigneault's leash is much shorter this year. But I don't see enough of the bad happening right away soon enough or dramatically enough to, to, to force him out. Beth, do you think he makes it till the end of the year? 
my response to that is going to be a little strange, which is, you know, right now I almost wish the Rangers could stop being the Rangers and wear the disguise of some other little scrappy team that nobody expects anything from that can just figure out what they're good at and have a great time and surprise some people. I think they do have this burden of, you know, going really far towards cup runs recently, um, original, you know, just the whole thing, the weight of being Rangers sort of on their shoulders when it seems like this is a year that they are going to have to do some experimenting. And I agree with you. They're going to, Lundqvist or hell or high water is going to get them into the playoffs. I don't really think that that's a question. Um, I do think, I, I think AV is probably going to last out the year unless something absolutely egregiously horrible happens. Um, I think it's whether he's he's back next year that is more of the question for me. Michael? I'm just trying really hard not to let my imagination run away because you said eyes wide shut. I thought about that Tom Cruise movie, but we won't go there. Anyway, um, <laughs> I That would be a very different podcast. Too, it's a very different podcast. You're right. It's inappropriate. It's almost like ringing up religion, but I had to do it to keep our streak alive. Um, (laughs) So too many things have to go wrong, I think, for A.V. to lose his job. Like you said, it's Henrik Lundqvist being around really smooths things out and makes up for a lot of shortcomings on the team. It did last year. It's done it for many, many years now. And he's really shown no signs of slowing down or kind of you know, fading, you know, kind of moving down a level in terms of leaving the league's elite goaltenders. And so long as that is the case, you know, if the Rangers are a playoff team, you know, playoff teams very, very rarely, if ever, you know, shake things up behind the bench. And if there's a general feeling that this team can be can do that and is expected to be a playoff team, I don't think he's going anywhere. And, you know, there's some signs from within the organization that he's probably not going anywhere. And there's the feeling that, you know, the expectations are not what they were a season or two ago, but it's still Vino's team. And, you know, it's been kind of interesting to hear some of the things you've heard out of him in the media here, but uh, I don't think he's, he's really on, you know, that much of a hot seat. I think we'll have to see the Rangers really, really struggle before before we start, you know, hearing those that kind of talk heat up here. I, I, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. It, well, it's a prediction, so there's really no right or wrong answer anyway. But um, I, I think to your point, Mike, that too many things would have to go wrong all at the same time, and Gordon would kind of have to be willing to either – well, I don't even want to say throw in the white flag because the Penguins did it last year and they won the Stanley Cup. So, yeah. by the way, Austin Matthews just scored his fourth goal of the game. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't going to bring that up. But. <laughs> he, he is the uh, the first player to ever score his four goals in his debut. Uh, by the way, Broussard had scored to tie the game before that, so Broussard's already on the board for, uh, for Ottawa. Yeah, he has a goal and an assist. Zubinijad better have nine goals tomorrow or he's going to be as much of a bust as Beth thinks Jimmy Vesey is. Uh, anyway, yep. 
you just have to accept it at this point. There are no, you, you have no choice. I'm in terms of final predictions for this team. I, I think we all kind of made them, and we all sort of agree that the Rangers find their way into the playoffs, but really don't go anywhere. And unless we see something drastic or crazy come down the line, that was going to be my next question to you guys. Do either of you see that big trade on the horizon? be it Kevin Shattenkirk or Lindholm or Truba. Mike, you want to kick us off on this one? Uh, I would like to think that we'd, we'd see something happen. Um, it'll come down a, a lot, obviously, to what the cap situation is and what, you know, what the Rangers can make work. But um, it's one of those things, I know we talked about it um, a lot during the summer in articles and I think in a, a podcast that we did where, you know, trading for Shattenkirk or someone, you know, cause trading for Shattenkirk is very different for, from trading for Truba. And it's obviously has to do with their contracts and their age. Um, trading for a guy who you, you know, have, you know, RFA rights to is, is perfectly fine. Um, trading for a guy who has an expiring contract and could end up just being, you know, a, a short-term rental is not something you want to do. Um, if things go really, really poorly, you know, if the Rangers are a turtle stuck on its back with its legs kicking up in the air, you know, a quarter into the season here, I'd like to see them. <laughs> I'd like to see them make the sort of move where they try to get younger and they address what is really growing concern on the blue line because I know there's good feelings about Clendenning and there should be, but the lack of exciting or promising prospects in the pipeline on defense for the Rangers right now is really something that needs to be addressed. Um, It's something that I think is a big problem moving forward. Beth? Can I, can I actually ask, and, and this is related, so feel free to spin it back into the same question. Um, did Klein's injury just buy some time on a McElrath trade? Or, and, and what are we getting back in that situation? I, I would say yes. Be, or Well, yeah, the answer is yes. Because, you know what, I'm going to change my mind. The answer is no. McElrath right now is the odd man looking in already. Like he's the eighth defenseman because he's the seventh defenseman right now and and Klein is out. So I think the real question becomes if there was an offer on the table that Gordon was interested in, I think he would have pulled the trigger already. If Klein's injury did anything, it probably made sure Gordon didn't sell low rather than just getting rid of him to clear the roster spot. The Rangers, unfortunately, are not going to get fair value back for Dylan McElrath because they destroyed his yeah. trade value. And yeah. Adam brought up, brought up a really good point in his article. For all the work that the Rangers did in terms of making an investment on McElrath, the team is going to throw it away if they get rid of him right now. But they're also throwing it away by not playing him. Imagine what he would look like with a full year under his belt. Even if last year was up and down, he still would have been a better option than a healthy Dan Girardi, an injured Dan Girardi, or Mark Stahl. And instead, he wasn't used. So you lose that entire year, and then you lose that developmental seasoning, and now you basically have a guy who is sort of a rookie again. 
I think a deal is out there to be made. Uh, Elliot Friedman reported in his first 30 thoughts of the year that the Rangers were still in on Truba. I think the cost right now is astronomical because Winnipeg thinks they can get whatever they want. But this isn't a vacuum. There's a lot of variables to the Truba situation, mainly the fact that he's not playing. He needs to be signed. And the players that Winnipeg wants is basically saying, hey, we'd like you to trade us your signed and locked up number one defenseman for our unsigned. You have to pay him a lot more money, number one defenseman. And I don't see a team doing it. So is McElrath or Shea going to be included in a deal like that? Maybe. That's something that I think I do see down the line. But the other thing, Jeff Gordon doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to rush into this. If he knows or thinks the Rangers are not contenders this year, he can just wait to get Shattenkirk for free next year in free agency. And right now, I think that's the backup plan. So I don't know. But I don't think Klein's injury had anything to do with not seeing a McElrath trade. I think maybe it bought a little bit of time for Gordon to shop him around, but I just don't see uh, a universe where Klein is playing every single day and the, the Rangers are holding on to him or not holding on to him because there's not a deal out there to be made. Uh, there are plenty of teams who are interested in a young, enormous defenseman who has actually potential to not just be an enforcer, but to be an actual defenseman. You can make the case that he was one of the Rangers' more consistent defensive defensemen last year. And a lot of that was with Keith Yandel, and he's not on the team anymore. Uh, Beth, did you want? Did you have a point to make, sort of on the tail end of that, no, or that you want was, me to throw it over think, to Mike? I just wanted to. I just wanted to see how that how that fit into what you were talking about. So I, I there was it, no larger go- point there. There's a lot of talent left unsigned in terms of restricted free agents, and you're not going to see an offer sheet because you would have seen one already. A lot of teams know where they stand. A lot of teams are playing tonight. A lot of teams are playing tomorrow, but I would expect the Truba situation to sort of sort itself out over the next couple of weeks. I would be surprised if that dragged into December, and there is a deadline. I don't know what it is, but at some point in December, if he doesn't play a game, his contract basically reverts and Winnipeg holds on to his rights again next year. So there needs to be some type of a solution in that regard. But I think we might see something. The Rangers have too many forwards. Say Peary blows the roof off. He's young enough that you can look at a guy like Miller and say, hey, it's worth it for us to get rid of you to uh, to bring on a guy like Truba. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to trying to look at this where the Rangers don't make that type of a move, but I kind of see it happening in that regard. And I do think something is coming somewhere. Michael, anything you'd like to add to this part of the conversation? It's, it's, it's really interesting to think about, you know, cause we're, I don't think we're meeting to, but we're kind of like, you know, trying to figure out where the lifeboats are in case things get things get rocky this season here it feels like that's what we're talking about um i i think the worst thing the rangers can do really is is show a lack of patience with with this squad they have right now because you know granted Girardi is there and uh i know that's something people will will focus on if they if they have a retort for what i'm about to say but this this is a lineup that I think a lot of us would have been really happy with uh, once we knew all the chips that were on the table at training camp. And, you know, after preseason and 
interesting to see what we saw out of Clendenning and Peary. And, you know, I really don't mind the roster that the Rangers have heading into the season. You know, granted, I know Steve Zappay is tweeting how it takes a, you know, kind of a sick joy in watching the Rangers Twitterverse freak out about the lineup for one game. But it's <laughs> it's important to remember that this team is really young. Um, you know, Glenn Denning is 23, Shea is 22, you know, Booch and, and VC are really young. Miller in his, in his own way is really young. Um, you know, Joe has said a couple of times in the podcast that, you know, Stefan at 26 has become kind of, you know, one of the older guys in the locker room. So there's a lot of, and, you know, obviously it's a been a jab throw him into that young group of forwards, but there's a lot that needs to kind of go right and click and gel here. And it might be a mistake to kind of, you know, hit the panic button early. Um, and I don't know if I mean that in regards to, you know, Vino's job security or more importantly, whether or not the Rangers make a move. But I would guess that because there's so much forward depth here that, you know, if a move is made for a guy like Truba, then, you know, it would cost someone like a Miller. You know, it would cost someone that, you know, is a desirable young forward that has potential that, you know, parallels a young defenseman like Truba's potential. Here's the good news, and it's not really something we've talked about, but in terms of looking at the nuclear option, it's a reality. If this year does not go as planned, and say the Rangers flounder, two things. One, the Rangers have their first-round pick this year for the first time in four years. Two, I don't believe it. there's so much youth <laughs> on this roster that you can actually start looking forward to next year. There's always going to be that ever-loving fear of Henrik Lundqvist kind of losing his immortality. But between VC, Buchnevich, Miller, Hayes, Kreider, even guys like Stepan, Shea, McElrath, if he ever plays, maybe Clendenning, there's enough to be excited about that this year would not be wasted one year or another. If this year is just laying the bricks of a foundation down to move forward, then so yeah, be then it. it's a great year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I agree. as long as the Rangers don't make that all-in Eric Stahl trade again, and look, maybe Peary blows the Rangers' doors off, and you could get something amazing for him at the trade deadline, or maybe you trade a guy like Joris at the trade deadline, or, or maybe a guy like Grabner goes away at the trade deadline. If the Rangers have to be that team for a year, then so be it. Again, the Rangers made their loyalty decisions already. They went down the road of Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl. They have not done right by Henrik Lundqvist in that regard, even if they thought they were. And you've gone down this road. You've made this decision. You're halfway down already. You can't turn around. So I don't see this year being terrible unless crazy things happen. Because you're going to have Buchnevich and VC learning and becoming whatever they are. And, and hopefully it's a wonderful, joyous, bald eagles, stealing a hot dog, flying over the mountains type of experience. But wow. there's enough to be excited about moving forward. And if the Rangers do flounder, they have their first-round pick. So there really is no downside, and, and it hasn't been like that before. Uh, even Zabinijad is 23 years old. There's so much youth up and down this, this lineup, this roster, that you can be excited about. And we have not seen what Jeff Gordon has brought to the table in that regard at all. I think there's a lot to be said for that. 
So I have good thing. I have a good feeling about this year, even if I don't have a good feeling about the Rangers doing what people hope they will do, which is to win the Stanley Cup. I have a good feeling that the Rangers are moving in the right direction. And if that culminates in a Truba trade, and holy crap, you have a McDonough-Truba first pairing, the Rangers could jump right back into being Stanley Cup contenders. And I really think that it just takes one move like that to make that type of a difference. I honestly do. So any final thoughts either of you would like to add before we release the people? I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to be fun to watch. And we're going to have to sit back and think, think big picture a little bit and, uh, you know, try to enjoy the good things that we're already seeing that maybe we weren't necessarily expecting, like the 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 Kreider Zibavuch line and Clendenning and other things that um, you know, maybe we weren't even realizing could be as much fun as they're going to be, um, without sort of you know, maybe just put the cup in the back of our minds for a little bit and see what these guys can do. Michael? Yeah, I really echo what Beth just said because, you know, you, it's, I know it's hard for, for Rangers fans with, with Henrik Lundqvist, you know, between the pipes to think about kind of being content with, you know, getting the playoffs and getting knocked out in the first round. But if the road that gets us there is filled with figuring out that we have something really special with, you know, Zabinajad and Buchnevich and BC and, you know, if we get to see positive steps from Shea and all that stuff, if that's the price we have to pay, then that's, you know, that's fine. I know it's really rough with, with Lundqvist being, you know, 34, but it's, 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 you know, Joe made, made a very, very sound point with, you know, we're, we're on the hook for, Girardi and Stahl, and it's not just that those guys are not the best defensemen to have on the team, but they they take up, you know, what is it, just under $12 million in cap combined for the Ooh, next four uh, years. So, uh, you know, that really uh, – <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be a downer here at the end, but, you know, that really limits – You walked me out on the edge some, again, Michael. Yeah, I know. But that really limits what someone like Jeff Gordon can do. And when you keep that in mind, Gordon has really done a lot of magic in a very short amount of time. And because of that, I think there's cause for optimism. And because of all the young forwards in the mix, I think there's a lot of cause for optimism. I don't think there's anything left to be said on this brilliant Unbelievable <laughs> New York Rangers season preview courtesy of Bantering the Blue Shirts. Uh, a couple of notes. I will be at the Garden tomorrow for opening night. If you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're also going to the game, we will be doing what I refer to as the meeting of the minds between the first period in the Seagate lobby on the second uh, bowl. So I think it's right outside section 216. Uh, Tony will be there. 50 will be there. I will be there. We all get to talk to each other and meet in real life. This way, it's not like we're friends with robots. You should all join if you're going to be there. Uh, Mike, Beth, and I are planning a date for a game at some point. I think we were looking at November. So we'll definitely let you guys know when that becomes official because you should all come to join the Meeting of the Minds. Um, you can download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. We are still working on 
getting us onto SoundCloud, but Google Play was a big one. All of the links that you can utilize are in my pinned tweet on Twitter to uh, go download us. You could subscribe to us. You should give us a five-star rating and say nice things because you help other Rangers fans find us. Um, you may see our work on blueshirtbanter.com slash riveters also being cross-promoted on the Ice Garden, which is SB Nation's new women's hockey site. So they are going to use Beth and Mike's wonderful work on the Riveters and cross-promote it over there. So you can find it there. Uh, you can read Beth at BlueShirtBanter.com and BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters. Mike, get both of those websites. And today's Slapshot, Beth is Twitter.com slash Beth Macklin. Mike is Twitter.com slash DigDeepBSB. I am just put Blue Shirt Banter after any social media thing, and you will find my beautiful verified face on Twitter. Um, we also have shirts. You should buy shirts. Yeah, buy a shirt. If you don't, if you don't buy shirts, you are a terrorist, and you don't want to be a terrorist. So wow. buy shirts. Wow. The link I'm not to sure buy them. Mike sounds like he's with me on this one. So Mike said that he didn't want you guys to be terrorists. So you have to buy a shirt. Um, I will repost the link on Twitter because it kind of got buried a little bit, but I think that uh, I'm going to find a way to put it onto the website as well. Someplace where you guys can find it, but it is a crab people shirt because it's awesome. (laughs) And that is something that you guys should be doing because again, it's awesome. The crab people is uh, cool. You can wear it to the garden. People will know that you're not a crab person. And what better way to not be a crab person than to prove you're not a crab person with a blue shirt panther or banter in the blue shirt shirt. Future Ranger Kevin Shattenkirk just scored his first goal. So uh, this seems like an appropriate time to end. The show will continue through the year every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. We will make a consensus between the three of us on what to do on game days where there is a, a Wednesday game. We'll either push it or, worst comes to worst, we will be here on Wednesday and you guys can just download us on the archive. Uh, but one way or another, we will be uh, giving you guys that information. Make sure to read them, like good co-hosts, Michael and Beth, anywhere that you can find them. And thank you for the support of the show. It, it has been great. This has been a really good endeavor, and I'm glad Mike pushed me to do this for four months before I uh, finally listened to him. So. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, sticking with us. We hope the season preview will have some things come true because then we won't look like idiots. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be that. Anything you guys want to add? What would you say? 300 uh, points for Just that Callie just tweeted a step on. That yeah, Callie did tweet don't look so on. impressive anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Callie? Just shut your face. That's what you should be doing right now. Leave step on alone. Uh, VC's not a bust. Just want to be out there and say that right now. He's not. He's not going to be a bust. <laughs> Fight what you may have heard on this podcast. Yep. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. What else? She, she's going to murder me. Yeah. Bye, Beth. Can you say grab her? And I may murder you. Grab. Damn it! Grab there it is. Do it. Grab her and grab her. Grab her and grab her. <laughs> I did. There you it. go. She's, she's ready for the year to begin. She's prepared. Uh, thank you for listening to this help. insanity. <laughs> we will uh, see you next week. Goodbye, guys. Adios.